Hey, welcome everybody to week two of our series called Relationship Goals. We believe that the gospel provides a way for us to have great relationships in all areas of our lives. Uh, And it gives us an opportunity to show the love that God has shown to us, to those around us, as we invest in great relationships. Yet, if we're honest, sometimes we mess it up. Sometimes our relationships don't feel so great. And so as we walk through this series, we're setting some goals and pushing ourselves to realize that God has designed us to be in relationship, made us for relationship, and given us the tools we need to be great at it, to be great friends, to be great in our marriages, to be great co-workers, great family members, and even great parents. However, today, as we dive into what it means to be a great parent, I want to start off by telling you there won't be a whole lot of personal stories in this message. I think being a great parent is super hard, and I'm not sure that I even would call myself a great parent. I know it's always been hard. I'm sure it was hard for my mom when she was raising me. I was not the easiest child to raise, Uh, but I think raising kids today is even harder And I've really been studying two books plus the Bible as I prepared for this uh, that I'm just blatantly stealing things from. So just know that not all of these thoughts are my own. But one of those books is titled The End of Youth Ministry, Why Parents Don't Care About Youth Groups and What Youth Workers Should Do About It. So it's a super uplifting read if you want to check that one out. But the book I do want to recommend for you is this little book called Don't Miss It. You can read this book in about 15 minutes And I think it's going to be a book that if you invest the money to buy it, you'll read it over and over and over again as an encouragement and a reminder of what our role is as parents. But after studying, I think I've realized there's two things that make parenting really hard in today's world. One, there's a lot of pressure. And two, there's a lot of pressure. You see, I think... First, there's pressure that we put on ourselves. Pressure that we don't get to do over. My kid will only be three one time. And then we have talked a lot around here about these marbles as a tool that we give people. And so if you think about it, each one of these marbles represents a week. And we get about a thousand weeks from the time our kid is born to the time they graduate high school. And every one of those weeks counts. And so as I think about my own life and I think about what it's like to not have a newborn anymore but a kid going into seventh grade, my weeks have disappeared. And that just adds the pressure up because they're gone. I can't get those weeks back. But I think making the most of the weeks, though it adds pressure, is still a good thing because it's a lot better than just haphazardly walking through life and unintentionally letting time go by in our kids' lives. So as we count weeks, we do feel the pressure, but I think it's a healthy pressure if we allow it to be. And it gives us memories. Let me tell you what I mean. Imagine this. Week one, she cried all night long. Week 10, she cooed and smiled. Week 40, she stood up. Week 70, she flushed your keys down the toilet. Week 130, she used the toilet. Week 182, she rolled her eyes at you. Week 234, she was only answered to Princess Jasmine. 260, she began kindergarten. 416, her homework actually confused us. 459, 
she went to her first slumber party. Week 494, she outgrew the kids' menu. Week 522, she put on makeup. 550, she asked for a smartphone. 551, she begged for a smartphone. 572, she started middle school. 573, she decided she was smarter than you. 645, she decided she was vegetarian. 646, she only ate hamburgers. Week 728, she attended her first high school class. Week 780, she got her driver's license. Week 858, she took the SAT. Week 884, she broke up with her first boyfriend. Week 900, she started her senior year. Week 928, she went to prom. And week 936, she graduated high school. Where did the time go? What did we do with it? How do we show her how much we love her? And then in the midst of this, in the midst of watching time tick by, in the midst of trying to figure out how to make the weeks count, somebody always walks up and they, I believe they want to be helpful, but they say something like this. You know, the future of your child is coming like a freight train. You better get your act together as a parent because you're running out of time. If you aren't careful, you'll miss out on what's important and you'll mess them up for the rest of your lives. Super helpful. Thank you for that reminder. I wasn't feeling the pressure enough just yet. But second, it's not just the pressure inside of us. There's pressure and a lot of it from the world and the culture around us. Andy Root, in his book about the end of youth ministry, says culturally we have to help our kids find their thing because then they'll know who they are. And they'll be able to earn recognition for their thing. Then they'll be happy. And this is the goal of parenting today. Right? We have to help our kid find a thing that they're good at then we have to make sure they're good enough at it that they get recognized for it. And then that, that recognition drives happiness. And in the midst of all that, we have to make sure that they avoid emotional injury. Because if they were injured emotionally, that might ruin their happiness. And then all of life would be ruined for them. There's pressure inside of ourselves and all around us from a world. I've felt it. I know it. I've felt crushed by it. I've felt paralyzed by it. I know, parents, I'm in that boat with you. We all make mistakes along the way. We all have done something in our kid's life. We smacked our forehead and we said, I really did mess up their whole life right now. It's actually one of the reasons I never wanted to have kids. So in the midst of all the pressure, how do we become great parents? How do we enjoy life and not be crushed by the pressure? I think it happens this way. And if you sleep through the rest of the sermon, don't miss this. Followers of Jesus set priorities that transform them into great parents. Followers of Jesus set priorities that transform them into great parents. If you have your Bible or your phone or you need to go out of the room and get it, go grab that, come back and open up either your Bible app or your Bible to Psalm 78. And that's where we're going to start today. Psalm 78 verse 1. And while you're turning there, let me clarify that statement. Following Jesus does not automatically make you 
a great parent. I think we all have friends who we think are really great parents, co-workers, associates who are great parents, who have nothing to do with faith in their life. But this is a church. We believe that the gospel is the basis for everything we say and do. We believe that Jesus' death and sacrifice on a cross should form who we are. And that it's through the work of the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the opportunity to become great parents. So that's why we worded it this way this week. Also, I want to say, if you're a great parent, or you're working really hard to be a great parent, that doesn't mean your kid will always make great choices. It's actually the hardest thing about parenting. I've sat in too many ER rooms, too many counselor offices, around too many dinner tables, in too many funeral homes, with parents, great parents, whose kids made choices that weren't great. Didn't mean they weren't great kids, but it meant they made tough choices. Our kids have free choice, and we can't stop or control that. That doesn't change our work at trying the best we can to be the best parents that we can be for our kids. So turn with me to Psalm 78, and let's take a look at what the writer says about being a great parent. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors have handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issues his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commands our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. So if followers of Jesus set priorities that transform them into great Parents, what exactly are those priorities? I think there's three of them. The first one is, great parents' number one priority is their own faith development. If you look at the words of this psalmist, he tells us to tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of God, to teach our kids what God has done in our lives. Now I get it. I'm in seminary, where I have to study God's Word, the Bible, as a textbook. And then I preach, and I teach small groups, and I lead classes all around Calvary, where I have to teach information to other people. And then I've got other things going on in life that take up my time. When am I making time, though, to read the Bible to allow God to speak to my life in a way that's not about teaching it to somebody else, but in a way that just reminds me of who God is and of how much he loves me. But parents, I don't 
I know we're busy. But if we're not studying this for ourselves, we'll never be able to teach our kids. And I know it's hard. I get it. We're busy. We work a lot of hours. We've got all kinds of activities. We're trying to take care of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. And sometimes the spiritual falls off the radar. But I want to encourage you to make time for it. I want to encourage you to think about what does my kids see when I bring them on Sunday morning and I bring them to Grace Place or Calvary Kids and I drop them off. And then instead of going to a small group or to worship, I head over to Starbucks. Because what I really need is just a quiet morning. Some alone time. Or what's our middle school or high school kid think when we bring them on Wednesday nights and we tell them that they have to come to confirmation, they have to come to Wednesday Night Live, and we trust Caitlin and Sarah to lead them, but they never see us gather in a small group. They never see us invest time reading and studying our Bibles. I think what we've modeled for them is that faith development is for kids. And what that means is when they're 18, they will outgrow their faith development too. We have to model this. Paul says our, our relationship with Jesus should be the number one priority. In, Ephesians, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul says, my relationship with Jesus is the single most important thing in my life. How important is our relationship with Jesus? The Bible seems pretty clear it should be our number one. But what is it really? How often do our kids see us in small group? How often do our kids see us reading God's word, the Bible? How often do they see us pray, not at mealtime? What is the faith that we're modeling to them? I think if we want to be great parents, we have to make our own faith development number one. Our number one priority, my relationship with Jesus, is the most important thing I can do for my kid. Priority number two, I need to love my spouse well. Now before I go too far, I don't want to lose a lot of you in the crowd. We live in a culture where divorce happens. And if you're a single parent, Thank you. Thank you for the work you've done to love your kid. And you are doing a fantastic job. You don't have a partner to tell you that, so hear me say that. If you're a single parent, you are doing a fantastic job to raise your kid. Keep investing. I grew up in a single parent home. I know how hard that is. I know how hard it is as a kid to be there, but I know how hard it is as a parent. I watched how hard my mom worked to make sure that we had what we needed. I also know divorce happens for many reasons. And a lot of them are outside of our control. 
And so if you're here today, and I'm about to say that being a great parent means loving your spouse well, please know you are a great parent. We can't go back and make up for the things that happened in the past. God doesn't hold that against us. Grace forgives us for that. And your kid will be fine because God is playing a role in their life. And church, this is maybe one of the greatest ways we can be a church. Because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a church wrapping itself around me, holding me close, helping me grow in my relationship with Jesus, walking alongside my mom. So if you're a single parent, thank you for what you're doing. However, I do believe it is God's design for kids to have two parents who love each other. And if you're still married, maybe the hardest thing for you to hear is that I just told you to put your spouse above your kids. But Paul, again, makes that pretty clear. In Ephesians chapter 5, Now, dads, I know it's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to you. I hope you have a great day. But Paul has some hard words for us as husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Our kids are watching. Dads, they're watching. How well are you loving their mom? They're watching how you treat her. They're watching how you speak to her. And they're learning what's okay and what's not okay when talking to women. What are the lessons we're showing them? How are we teaching them? Can I be honest for a minute? Church, I think we have fought really hard for the wrong thing when it comes to marriage. We fought politically for marriage. We fought legally for marriage. We fought for marriage based on gender. We fought all kinds of ways for marriage. But church, we have to be honest. Not just Calvary, but Big C Church. We haven't done a very good job at fighting to help couples develop healthy marriages. Young couples, middle-aged couples, older couples, we just don't do a good job, and we need to start. Because we do see people all the time discard their marriages. Because it's just easier than doing the hard work. One of the reasons I think it's easier is because we put our kids above our spouses. We give them our attention. We give them our time. We give them more money. We invest more in them. We make them a higher priority than we do loving our spouse. Now the truth is, my wife Corey and I have been married for, 18, or for 20 years this August. I get in trouble when she watches this and I said 18 But for 20 years, we've been married. My kids will live in my house for 18 years. That's right, boys. You have 18 years. When you turn 18, you're going to college. You're going to get a job. It's going to be great. And you're going to not live in my house anymore. (laughs) And what am I going to do for the next 40 years? 
when my kids are gone and I get to love my wife again. You see, we make our spouse our top priority because they're going to be around a lot longer living in our house in relationship with us than our kids are. I'm hoping for 60 years of loving marriage with my wife. And I'm hoping for a lot of years of loving my kids. But my kids need to learn. I care a ton about them, and they are incredibly great kids. But I love their mom just a little bit more. Or I prioritize their mom just a little bit more than I prioritize them. And parents, when we love our kids, when we love our spouses, it means our kids' core identity gets to stay intact. I don't say this statistic to hurt any of you that are divorced, but if there are any of you who aren't and maybe you're thinking about it, let me be honest with you. If it's in your power and you're not being abused, I hope you fight to save your marriage because this statistic has haunted me for 18 months now. If a child's parents are divorced, there is a 31% chance they won't graduate high school. If a child has a parent who dies, there's a 15% chance they won't graduate high school. It is better for a child's development that a parent die than their parents divorce. Again, God is a miracle-working God. And if you're divorced, God can work in your kid's life regardless of what's happened between your marriage. But if you're just inconvenienced by your marriage and thinking about not working on it, I want you to know the best thing you can do for your kids is to start figuring out how to love your spouse well. And the third priority that I think great parents do is they recognize that our kids are God's kids first. Our kids are God's kids first. There's no clearer story than this, than the story of Hannah and Samuel in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Hannah's being mocked and made fun of because she can't have kids. And she prays that God would give her the kid, give her a kid, give her the desire of her heart. And that if he does, she would give him back to God to serve him for the rest of the child's life. God hears her prayer. He hears her cry and he answers it. And Hannah gives birth to her son Samuel. And when Samuel is three years old, Hannah takes Samuel to the temple and he gives her son to Eli, the high priest. And he says, Eli, I have prayed to God for this son, but I promised God if he gave me a son that I would give him back and that Samuel, my son, would serve God for the rest of his life. And so I'd like for you to raise him here at the temple to be a priest. And that was the culture of the day. But that was Hannah being faithful and realizing God knows her son more than she does. God knows what's going on in her son's life more than she does. God cares for her son more than she ever could. Great parents realize that their kids are loved by God first and by them second. And in that 
Come back to Psalm 78. It says, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Parents, as we remember that our kids are God's kids and that he loves them too, we get to set our hope anew and their hope anew on a God who loves them. As Jesus-following parents, this is our goal. So how do we get there? How do we teach our kids that their hope rests in Jesus, that their hope rests in not obeying God's commands so that they get stickers on a wall, but obeying God's commands so they can live life to the fullest? I think it begins by starting with the end in mind. And so I want to give you a statement, and I want you to fill in the blank. When my kid or my kids are 25, I want them to blank. When my kids are 25, I want them to be blank. What would you put in the blank? Happy? College graduates? Debt-free? Out of my basement? Living according to the truth of the gospel? how would you fill in the blank? But if we want our kids to be living according to the truth of the gospel at 25, we have to teach them who Jesus is. We have to remind them of the ways Jesus has shown up in our lives and challenged and changed us and made us new. We have to give them hope for a future that rests not on academic achievement, not on sports trophies, not on participation ribbons, but on the God who died on a cross to show them how much he loved them. Great parents. Followers of Jesus set priorities that transform them into great parents. Followers of Jesus set priorities that transform them into great parents. As we get ready to leave, I want to leave you with three action steps. Because I think we can easily just hear this, let it wash over us, be one more thing that pushes us down or adds to our pressure, or we can actually start to do something about it. Action step number one. We need to create a rhythm for our family. Now hear me. We need to create a rhythm. Not a schedule. Not a to-do list. Not a list of things we have to check off so we feel good about ourselves. A rhythm. So some of you know I've been going to the gym for the last couple months. It's become a rhythm. I can miss, and I don't go back to square one. I can eat greasy cheeseburgers with bacon and blue cheese dripping off the sides, and I don't gain all the weight back that I've lost because I've created a rhythm. Just like we create rhythms for our physical health, just like we create rhythms for work, what if we created rhythms for our family? Rhythms that went along with our days. What if we started planning date nights so we could reinvest in our, in our spouses so our kids could see us date our spouse and see that after all these years we still love them as much as we did the day we married them? What if we planned family dinner twice a week. 
not every Tuesday, that becomes a to-do list, that becomes a chore, that doesn't give us any freedom. But what if we said twice a week, we're going to sit down as a family at the dinner table and have dinner together? What if we said, every other day I'm going to read the Bible for five minutes. And then the days I don't read, I'm going to pray. And then once a month, I'm going to find an older mom or dad who could mentor me, who could walk alongside of me, who could encourage me, who could challenge me, who could ask me, hey, how's your rhythm going? Are you finding a rhythm? What's it look like? Here's how I found a rhythm when I was your age and I had all the pressures. You see, I think finding those rhythms are really important. And the one thing I will say about our rhythm is, I think in the middle of our rhythm, we have to make Sunday count. Because when we come to this place, our kids get to see all of these other adults and form relationships with them to remind them how much they're loved, not just by us, but by an entire body of people. Our second action step, I want you to remember this week, parents, God loves you. I want you to remember that God loves you. That might sound really silly, but God has grace for the mistakes you made this week as a parent. God has more grace for the mistakes you made this week than you have for yourself. God forgives you of those. My guess is your kid has forgiven you of those. My question is, have you forgiven yourself? You see, I get it. I've got a middle school kid. There are lots of times... I make mistakes as a parent right now. And this week I made one of those. He and I have had to talk about it. But I guarantee you, if you ask him right now, first he'd be super embarrassed, and second, he'd tell you I still love him. And he knows that. Parents, we beat ourselves up. We speak negatively into our own lives. You can't do this perfectly. God doesn't expect you to do this perfectly. So remember, even on your worst day, God loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants to help you be a better parent. And last, remember that your child is made in the image of God. Your child has the divine capacity to believe, to imagine, to love, to trust, to reason, to create, and to lead. They're not going to do it the way you do it. God designed them uniquely. They're not going to, my kids aren't going to do it the way I do it. God designed them uniquely. And parents, I think we are trained to see all the wrong our kids do sometimes. And in that, we miss the incredible, unique character that God has built inside of them. We miss the beauty of who they are and who they're growing up to be. We need to learn to celebrate the image of God in our kids to recognize their unique attributes that make them special in God's eyes and that show us and reflect back to us the nature of who God is. 
when you look at your kid, do you see the image of God looking back at you? This week, I want you to try to start a rhythm. Something that keeps those priorities in line. Jesus, your spouse, and then your kids. What's that rhythm going to look like for you? I want you in the middle of that, when you make mistakes along that rhythm, to remember that God loves you. And then every time you look at your kid this week, I want you to see the image of God staring back at you and their unique, divine attributes and abilities. Followers of Jesus set priorities that transform them into great parents. It's a growing process. We're all learning together. We need to love and encourage one another as we walk together in this journey. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the ways you love us when we're unlovable. Thank you for the joy of the kids you have blessed us with. God, for those who are listening in and who would do anything to, give a, to be a parent, but for some reason that hasn't become a reality in their lives, God, I ask and pray that you would comfort them. I pray, God, that they would know you are there next to them. God, on this Father's Day, we thank you for the dads in our lives and for the role models they've been, for the ways they've loved us, for the ways they've taught us, for the things they've shown us, for the ways they've modeled your character and your love for us. God, I pray for each parent in this room. Parenting is hard. Give them strength to go forward. Give them strength to move on. Give them strength for the next day to stick to it, to invest in their relationship with you, to invest in their spouse, and to invest in their kids. God, for those who are doing it alone, may the church come around them. May they know they're loved. They're not alone in this journey. I know they feel alone sometimes, God, but they're not. We want to help. We want to walk alongside their kids. We want to love their kids. You love their kids. God, remind them of that. Strengthen them. Supernaturally strengthen those single moms and dads out there who are doing it on their own. Give them wisdom beyond their own understanding as they raise their kids. God, for all the grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and young couples who are thinking about having kids but not ready yet. God, I pray that they'd be sources of encouragement for us as parents. I pray that we parents would be encouragement for those parents who are not, for, the, for those younger couples who haven't had kids yet that we'd show them what it means and the joys that kids can bring. God, in all of this, we ask for Jesus' help. And we do all of this for your glory and for your kingdom and to show people that we are designed for great relationships because we're loved by a God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.